That was a delicious meal, you tell your partner. But they assure you the best is yet to come. They hold up a little glass bottle, corked, containing a glittery purple syrup. If you take a sip, they tell you, you'll be shrunken down to a few inches tall for an evening of unforgettable sexual adventure. Even if you believe them, how much do you trust them? Welcome to Zeitgeist, a short podcast with some big ideas about the growing fascination with gigantic and tiny people. I'm your host, Aborigin, exploring the history, the prejudices, and the passion surrounding size fantasy. Welcome to the fourth episode. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, and I hope you continue to do so as I break away from the meta discussion and get into what giantess slash tiny relationships and erotica actually look like. Once again, I must apologize for how I'm going to frame these examples. I'm speaking from my lived experience, a man who sees himself as tiny and who's attracted to giantesses. I recognize there are many other positions, orientations, and degrees of relationship out there in the global size community. I encourage you to find your voice and tell your story. If I tried to do that, at best I'll get it comically wrong, and at worst I'll hurt someone. I can't pretend to be anyone but who and what I am, and that's actually what motivated me to start this podcast, my newsletter, and my blog. I believed I had something to say, and there was a chance someone needed to hear it. What this means is you're going to hear about giant women and tiny men, in any personal example, with any emotional investiture. And one more time, I'll explain why I'm using size fantasy instead of macrophilia. I don't like the clinical sound of macrophilia. It sounds like a disease rather than a sexual indulgence. It suggests the attraction only flows in one direction, smaller people attracted to larger people. But we know that it goes the other way too. I want to encompass all the ways tiny people, normal-sized people, and gigantic people interact with each other, back and forth, up and down. Size fantasy also covers everything from friendships and distant admiration to extremely intimate sexual encounters. I'm using size fantasy to refer to the realms of macrophilia and microphilia, just as I refer to the greater global size community when in fact many of us don't know each other. In fact, there are fetishists who don't even realize we've congregated into groups or that anyone else is into size erotica. What does a mixed size relationship look like anyway? How does it work? When I've introduced the concept to outsiders, there's a moment when I can see the wheels turning inside their head and sometimes they start to giggle. I'm pretty sure most of them are thinking about a bedroom scene where a tiny man's working his way into his lover's vagina, though sometimes they can't or won't go that far in their imagination. They think about a huge penis and a tiny woman and they think it just can't work out, that they're incompatible. It would take a few minutes of playing around with proportions and landscapes of body to even start to guess how such a scenario plays out. And most of them are unwilling and uninterested in putting in that kind of work because in a way it feels like climbing into someone else's pants and not in the sexy way. I don't blame them. It's not for everybody. I believe you're born with this propensity regardless of when you discover it in yourself. And... Well, they're not wrong. That's the basic scenario in the first story I ever wrote in college, in which a cute woman shrank me down and let me explore her body, climbing her legs like trees, taking a detour into the valley of her thighs, finding and feeling my way around. The first shrunken fantasy I ever had 
without writing it down, was in middle school. I daydreamed about a cute classmate standing over me while a platform lifted my tiny body up into her big round butt. And the very first giantess dream, I can recall, going way back to elementary school, was one in which I had to climb a fully clothed giantess in order to rescue her, somehow. I made it to her shoulder and was rewarded with giant ruby-lipped kisses. Scenes like this bear out, whether it's a tiny shrunken man starting on a new relationship with a normal-sized woman or a normal-sized man who's compelled to risk life and limb to profess his love to a giantess. Of course, nothing's stopping a man who's three inches tall from approaching and exploring a woman as tall as a skyscraper, though she may not be aware of him and he may not survive the encounter. To some people, that's part of the appeal. Why are we into this? Why does this arrangement excite us when it has no biological imperative? It's hard to nail down exactly. Like I've talked about before, part of it is the thrill of sensory overload, being overwhelmed by a person or by body parts that my body is keyed to respond to. It's objectification, yeah, but that's what a lot of porn is, because that's what our primal bodies are coded for. Objectification may not be the basis for a meaningful relationship, but it is absolutely a truth of the human experience, and not necessarily an evil one. We see something that turns us on, and most of us don't think about why it turns us on. Me, yeah, I stop for a minute and wonder what it is about large spherical sacks of flesh and fat that gives me an erection, but this process can't be deconstructed. You miss something important when you break it down to its component parts, so I'll only talk about it in context. When I see a commercial or a cartoon or a movie that features a giantess, and to be sure, the great majority of the time she's beautiful, that gets my attention. Or sometimes I see a POV image that closes in on parts of an attractive body, which to some people looks like a close-up, but which strikes me as a normal camera taking in a vast sensual bodyscape, one that I want to explore. I want to walk between those huge breasts, climb over them and hug them with my body, get squished between them, struggle underneath one as the giantess piles it atop me. I want to walk over that belly, feel the flesh twitch ticklishly beneath my feet, lie down on it and slowly rise and fall with the giantess's breath, get drunk on her body heat rising through me. That whole experience, being so small and focused on the body of a beautiful woman inside and out of her, that's what I want. Now to step back and look at an outsider's perspective, I've described the very intimate acts of a tiny man with a woman, what we call insertion, where a tiny man climbs up to a vulva as large as his own body, strokes her labia, kisses them, peels them gently aside, and, bathed in her juices, shoulders his way into the quivering, clenching entrance of her vagina. To me, that's an intensely loving and erotic act. But in the past, when I've described this to a girlfriend, say, her reaction is something like, don't go down there, it's ugly and stinky, or, but wouldn't you suffocate? That's not part of the fantasy. When I'm aroused and attracted, I'm not thinking about how frail my bones are at that size. I'm not thinking about differently sized molecules that prevent me from breathing, or how my mass is so reduced I'd have to scamper like a centipede across the floor to get anywhere. I'm not getting off to physics or engineering. It's all exploring a beautiful female body, plus some creative liberties. It's kind of like the 2006 movie Superman Returns, when Superman's hovering above the stratosphere and focusing his hearing upon various cities around the world. 
A friend of mine saw that and was outraged at the physical impossibility of such a stunt. And I'm like, he can fly, his body's bulletproof, he can shoot heat rays from his eyes, but that's what strikes you as unlikely? Yes, we size creators are well familiar with the real-world physical limitations of our fantasy, such as the universally hated square cube law, but that's not what we're fantasizing about. We'll introduce some of these limitations and rules only when it makes our stories more interesting. But when I fantasize about rubbing my tiny hands through a giant lover's labia, getting her nice and wet, I'm not thinking, damn, I should have brought a scuba suit. In that scene, I'm going to breathe just fine, and I'm not going to be crushed or starved to death. It's as unrealistic to visualize a giantess as it is to pretend I can hold my breath for more than two minutes, but only one of those is a buzzkill. Think about when someone's fixated on a musician or actor, and they're daydreaming about a relationship with them, where they'd go, what they'd do, and what would have to change, or how crushed they are when their idol starts dating someone. There's always that friend who says, what does it matter to you? It's not like you ever had a chance. Why would they yuck someone's yum like that? They're already denied this experience in real life, but then they have to crap on their fantasy too? Just let them enjoy it. I've touched on the sexual side to tiny man giantess relationships, and I'm not terribly comfortable explicitly spelling out all the other techniques and positions such a couple might entertain in an evening. You can read about that in my stories. I've explored nearly everything that can be done, I think. But I'd like to point out the non-sexual side as well. There are some people in the size community who find giants and giantesses appealing, but not as sexual objects. As nearly as I can understand it, they enjoy the thrill of encountering someone much, much larger than oneself, and they also find comfort in the protectiveness of such a person. This is part of the gentle focus in size fantasy, gentle as opposed to cruel or sexy. Gentle scenes can look like a regular night with a regular couple, but with one tiny partner, and the struggle to interact and be a partner can be cute or touching. I wrote a scene in which a tiny man sliced bits of charcuterie and tossed them into his girlfriend's waiting mouth while they held a conversation. She was charmed to watch him working within his ability, sawing the food down to chunks he could manage, and though they were less than a morsel to her, she loved that he was focused on her and trying to do something nice for her as much as he could. He loved the sensation of pleasing her, the frisson of standing so close to her bare teeth as he tossed the food under her tongue, walking up to her large, lovely face, and he loved feeling capable and interactive as they went on like this. One of the most common images in the gentle scenario is that of a huge hand holding a tiny person. The tiny is curled up in their palm, comforted by the heat and softness of the skin, secure in their trust of their larger partner, basking in being taken care of and loved. The giant, in this scenario, finds their frailty beautiful. They're proud to protect and hold this little person. The tiny person makes them feel that much bigger and more powerful, for that matter. It's a communion of trust and respect between two people, and just as people turn to fiction stories and illustrations for gigantic and tiny people, they also turn to this creative work to envision and experience that kind of safe, supportive relationship that may not exist in their lives. I think you can start to see why these fantasies are so important to us. It doesn't matter if they're not goals to be achieved. When we think about them, we still experience some kind of thrill or satisfaction in putting ourselves into this fictional setting. 
It addresses a need we have, and the need won't be resolved in this fictitious way, but it's certainly soothed. I love reading gentle stories, and my favorite authors are surprised and perhaps taken aback by how much they mean to me. Likewise, I've had readers reach out to me and say they've kept a printout of my story on their desk for years, or they were able to accept and normalize their own fantasy because I'd written about something similar. The idea that someone else could feel the way they do was comforting. And going back to how I introduced this episode, that's why I feel it's important for as many different people as possible to create, whether it's in size fantasy or whatever else. You might think you have nothing original to say, that all the stories have been told and retold, but I promise you, and I know this for an absolute fact, someone is waiting to hear your story the way you tell it. It's time for the questionnaire again. I don't know if I ever specified this, but I've asked a dozen creators to answer two questions for me. One, when and how did you first get into size fantasy? And two, what does your size fantasy mean to you? If this podcast seems like it's going to continue, I'll reach out to more people. Jason Ninja, he, him, is a filmmaker, artist, and photographer. He runs the website XBrats, or Bratty Foot Girls for the OGs, as he puts it. He enjoys making a variety of fetish content, but his favorite is size fantasy. He will typically spend weeks to create special effects projects for the size community while scratching his creative itch. Jason sides with the shrunken guy aspect, believing that two or three inches in height is enough to interact with a giantess and small enough to enable unaware scenarios. As for giantesses, he feels the 50-foot woman is the classic dimension, quote, just big enough to level a city, end quote, but can also interact intimately with the tiny people. As far as I can remember, I was always uh, attracted to, you know, medieval fantasy movies and, you know, like the Odysseus, uh, Greek mythology, things like that from when I was a small child. So you can probably guess from that I was really big into, you know, watching all those movies in the early 80s and late 70s. Movies like, you know, Thief of Baghdad and Clash of the Titans and things like that. Probably wasn't until, you know, I got into more of my teen years that I started finding the idea of, you know, shrinking and giant women more, more of a sexual uh, fantasy of mine. You know, the that feeling of helplessness and, you know, the woman being gigantic and overpowering over a tiny helpless, uh, you know, human that always seemed to be a really cool idea for me then obviously once I uh got the internet around probably the mid to late 90s I found out probably like many other people listening to this that there was a whole community of like-minded individuals that were also into the idea of size uh content and uh I was lucky to meet Gary Pranzo who I consider the the godfather of giantess early in my fetish career <clears throat> right when I was first starting out, he shot a model uh, that I was dating at the time and he invited me onto his set to be green screened <laughs> from what I've seen. Uh, quite a lot of his releases have featured me in them, which I thought was cool. And uh, once I had enough money to pump into a decent PC or laptop, I started my long journey into learning the arts of green screen. For me, the size fantasy is probably the one way that I really get to scratch my creative itch. It kind of encompasses everything that I'm into. 
both, you know, sexually and non-sexually. I mean, I, I love horror movies. I'm a huge horror movie buff. And um, <clears throat> if you've ever seen any of my uh, giantess special effects movies, you'll notice there's always a very strong horror vibe to them. Yeah, how it makes me feel. I mean, it, it, it excites me. It makes me proud. I love being part of the community. The people in the size community are probably the best fans I've encountered. And I can say that because I do shoot a lot of different types of content in the fetish world. And uh, and I tell a lot of the models that I work with, especially the new models, that it's a worthy investment of their time to learn all about size content and the community because the size community are the most loyal, generous, and easygoing people I've met. And what do I use it for? I mean, obviously, it's part of my day-to-day job. But outside of that, I, I love just interacting. I have a lot of friends in the scene or, or the community, I should say. And yeah, we, we all stay in touch. I mean, obviously, we've all got our lives. I live a very busy life. A lot of us have families. Um, it's nice to know that you got a lot of people out there that share your love of uh, your size content. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. If anyone's listening, please feel free to offer me feedback on the Zeitgeist website commenting on the show notes. I'd love to hear what you think of these episodes so far. You can even suggest what I could cover in the future. If you want, you can also find me on Spotify, where I post a poll that runs for two weeks with each episode. Zeitgeist also appears on YouTube, and you can comment there. Links to these are in the show notes. I also have a newsletter where I talk about science fantasy adjacent topics. The most recent one covers the incident of U.S. Special Forces encountering the Kandahar Giant in Afghanistan 20 years ago. If you're interested, you can subscribe to That's About the Size of It through the link in the show notes. It doesn't come out on any schedule, just when I have enough material to write about. Thank you for listening to Zeitgeist. This show was written, hosted, produced, and everything else by me at Borodu. Find the show notes and links at zeitgeist.com. See you in two weeks, and please watch your step. Step.